What's up? It's your boy, Ruby Rube, coming at you from the Gathering Strength Podcast. Vietis equitit iundo. We gather strength as we go. I am broadcasting from the lovely, the beautiful, and expensive Livermore, California. Home of wineries, rodeos, and a couple crackheads. Now, once again, I don't have too much time. Time is money. Money is time. We have things to do, places to be, and some chores to get done. And I can't be creating podcasts all day. Like I said, I got things to do. So onward, and let's jump right on in into the word of the day. The word of the day is assiduous. Now, I already know what you're thinking because... I know you. And you're like, man, why do I need to know all these words? Why do I need to improve my vocabulary? And your boy Ruby Rube has already told you once, twice, three times a lady. These words contain wisdom, knowledge, power, and they can potentially unlock a realm, some insight, maybe even an internal feeling that you didn't have a word for. And now because you have a robust vocabulary, you can potentially identify a internal state and convey how you feel. So now that brings about clarity. And the way that we get clarity is by learning all these words and all these psychological aspects and mental phenomena that the human condition is just prone to feel. So once again, assiduous. Definition of assiduous is with great care and perseverance. Synonyms for assiduous are diligent, exacting, indefatigable. Ooh, I love that word. That was my word of the day a few episodes back. Laborious, scrupulous, zealous, active, attentive. And you know what? Let's go ahead and use that in a sentence because your boy Ruby Rube wants you to completely and thoroughly understand this word. So the definition, once again, is showing great care, attention, and effort. Here's the sentence. They were assiduous in their search for all the latest facts and figures. The project required some assiduous planning. And now that we have identified and learned a new vocabulary word, Feel free to add that vocabulary word into your quiver and let that arrow fly wherever you see fit. Onward from the word of the day, and let's get into that meat and potatoes subject of a podcast. And today's podcast episode, it is a doozy. Man, uh, do I have some knowledge, some information, and some profundity, some gravitas for you today. Now, I just finished reading Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. Now, for whatever reason, I need to dig into myself and figure out why. Why do I love learning about these stories of people who have experienced insurmountable circumstances in which one I hope to never experience 
two, man, they lived such a long time ago, but their mindset, their virtues and their values and their the diligence and the resilience that they expressed during that time, hey, that fires me up to today. A man in the future is still being impacted by the life of Frederick Douglass. And if you don't know who Frederick Douglass is, don't worry. Your boy Ruby Rube got your back. And today, you gon' learn. So feel free to take out your writing utensil, your marker, your crayons, your Lisa Frank stationery pad, and let's start taking some notes. Let's dive right on in. Some quick facts about Frederick Douglass. Um, let's see, I'm on his Google page right now. I will be diving into the book, but Frederick Douglass was an American social reformer, abolitionist, orator, writer, and statesman. After escaping from slavery in Maryland, he became a national leader of the abolitionist movement in Massachusetts and New York, becoming famous for his oratory and incisive anti-slavery writings. He, he died February 20th, 1895 in Washington, D.C. You know what? Uh, he has some children. Frederick Douglass Jr. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do a, a deep dive on that guy. But man, I learned about Frederick Douglass, I don't know, at some random point in my life. And I was just like, hey, you know, all right, cool. Just a, another prominent historical figure. And... I was like, all right, yeah, you know, there's a bunch of these people out there. I just never took the time to really learn about them. And then I did a deep dive on Booker T. Washington. His book was recommended to me. Uh, once again, I forget the exact source of the recommendation, but I did a deep dive and read Booker T. Washington's book. And Booker T. Washington, he referenced Frederick Douglass. And so that sparked my curiosity once again. And I was like, Hey, Frederick Douglass, that would be another interesting guy to check out. I did a little bit of googly, Google researching, found out that he had a book on Amazon, and sure enough, I clicked that purchase button and bada bing, bada boom. A few days later, I had his book in my hands, and I devoured it. So I'm going to open up to a few excerpts. And you know what? Just a, a word of caution. This man, Frederick Douglass... It's fascinating because this book, it is in his own words, and I find it fascinating that these starting out as illiterate slave boys, and they educate themselves to eloquently formulate their thoughts and write out powerful, very powerful and dramatic and sometimes dark uh, sometimes like very hopelessness type writing and then they they write about their their triumphs and the hope that they fill themselves with. And if an illiterate slave boy such as Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass can sort themselves out despite having experienced slavery, then what's stopping you and me from sorting ourselves out? and being able to organize our thoughts. What, what's stopping us? Nothing, nothing is stopping us. So books like this speak out to me. 
And then once again, this was written in his own words. So when I read the sentence on the, on the page, the text, I'm connecting with this man. And that's the power of reading. Because even though this was written um, hundreds of years ago, or a, a few hundred, uh, I don't know, over 100 years ago, even though it was written back then, his words, he captured them, he wrote them down, and he clearly and concisely articulated his experience about slavery and freedom. And it's powerful stuff. So from the book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, we're going to jump right into the book right now. And, you know, I'm going to share a few excerpts. There are many, many uh, compelling, rich information in this book. And my aim is to get you to, hey, to go out and buy it, go out and learn something and compare your life to Frederick Douglass's and it'll put all your problems into perspective. So from Frederick Douglass, he writes, I never saw my mother to know her as such more than four or five times in my life. And each of these times was very short in duration and at night. She was hired by Mr. Stewart, who lived about 12 miles from my home. She made her journey to see me in the night, traveling the whole distance on foot after the performance of her day's work. She was a field hand and, and a whipping is the penalty of not being in the field at sunrise. Unless a slave has special permission from his or her master, uh, to the contrary, a permission which they seldom got, and one that gives them that gives them the proud name of being a kind master. Uh, so, Frederick Douglass, he only saw his mother four or five times, and every time he saw her, it was at nighttime. And by the time the sunrise, she had to go and trek back. 12 miles to be in the field to work. Now, I run marathons. Let's see, I'm running about like an 8 minute, 25 second, 30 second pace. Very easy pace. A zone 2 pace. And if I were to run 12 miles, that's probably going to take me... I don't know, maybe like an hour and 20 minutes. I don't know, somewhere in that ballpark. That's going to take me an hour and 20 minutes. But it's going to take me an hour and 20 minutes on... And that time is like I'm waking up well-rested. I have good running shoes. I have proper nutrition. I'm properly hydrated. I have adequate rest. Now, this slave woman, she spent who knows how many hours in the field... Tra uh, traveled 12 miles to spend a handful of nights with her son and then had to be back in the field before the sunrise. So how long do you think it took Frederick Douglass's mother to make that trip back and forth in, in those slavery conditions with shitty shoes, shitty food, crappy, new, uh, crappy rest, crappy clothes? None of, the, none of the luxuries that you and I have today. But she did it. Only a handful of times, four or five times is what Frederick Douglass recollects. Frederick Douglass goes on and writes, Frequently before the child has reached its 12th month, 
Its mother is taken from him and hired out on some farm in a considerably uh, far distance off. And the child is placed under care of an old woman too old for field labor. For what this separation is done, I do not know, unless it is to be a hindrance of the development of the child's affection towards its mother and to blunt and destroy the natural affection of the mother for the child. That is the inevitable result. So these slave masters, they knew the power that the mother and child have, that bond that they have together. But man, back in those slavery days, those slaves, they were just looked at as cattle. They didn't have thoughts. They didn't have a soul. They didn't have anything as, as it pertained to the slave master. They were like, man, I just need to get this woman to, to push out a kid so I can get some more return on my investment. But you and I, we know better than that. And the devastating trauma that has last generations. So once again, Frederick... Douglas didn't know his mother. I'm sure that it was a a huge detriment to his health and his mental well-being and overall everything. And that's just one guy. They did this to everybody pretty much. Time goes by and Frederick Douglas received, I'm going to let him tell you, I received the tidings of her death with much the same emotions I should have probably felt at the death of a stranger. Yep. Your boy Ruby Rube jumping in again. He learned that his mother died and he, he had the same feelings as finding out some stranger died. Fascinating stuff. Frederick Douglass goes on to write, the children, unable to work in the field, had neither shoes, stockings, jackets, nor trousers given to them. Their clothing consisted of two coarse linen, linen shirts per year. When these fell them, they went naked until the next allowance day. Children from seven to ten years old, of both sexes almost naked, might be seen at all seasons of the year. There were no beds given to the slaves unless one coarse blanket be considered such, and none but the men and women had these. This, however, is not considered a very great privation. They find less difficulty from the want of beds than from the want of time to sleep. So they were feeling like, hey man, I don't want a bed, I just need time to sleep. And that was just their existence being worked to death. They didn't even want a bed. They just would rather have time to sleep. And if we were to reflect on that, why are we so tired? We have beds. We have food. We have resources. And these slaves, they worked all day and didn't even have a bed to recover in. Frederick Douglass speaks of his slave overseer. His name was Mr. Severe. Frederick Douglass writes, Mr. Severe was rightly named. He was a cruel man. I have seen him whip a woman, causing the blood to run half an hour at, at a time. And this, too, in the midst of her crying, her children pleading for her mother's release. He seemed to take pleasure in manifesting his fiendish barbarity. Added to his cruelty, he was a profane swearer. So here is another interesting fact. 
So I guess back in the day, according to Frederick Douglass, the slave master, he'd have to go into town and get supplies and such. And then there would be another slave master with his slaves. So we have two slave masters and we have two groups of slaves who are owned by the slave master. Now the slaves, when they would encounter each other, Frederick Douglass, he would say that they would fight. The slaves would fight amongst each other because they wanted to prove that their slave master was superior to their slave master because there was nothing worse than being a slave to a poor man. So here, Frederick, here's Frederick Douglass in his own words. When Colonel Lloyd's slaves met the slaves of Jacob Jepson, they seldom parted without a quarrel about their masters. Colonel Lloyd's slaves contending that he was the richest and Mr. Jepson's slaves that he was the smartest and most of a man. Colonel Lloyd's slaves would boast his ability to buy and sell Jacob Jepson. Mr. Jepson's slaves would boast his ability to whoop Colonel Lloyd. These quarrels would almost always end in a fight between the parties, and those that whipped were supposed to have gained the point at issue. They seemed to think that the greatness of their masters was transferable to themselves. It was considered as bad, uh, being bad enough to be a slave, but to be a poor man's slave was deemed a disgrace indeed. Now, I found that part interesting because we kind of do the same stuff today. Now, think about this. For example, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. We have the 49ers, and we used to have the Raiders until they moved to Las Vegas. But prior to that move... They stopped having games together because there was fights, brutal fights, humongous fights in the parking lot. And both of the fans were fighting the opposing team for pretty much the same reason. They were fighting because, or like the 49er fans and the Raider fans, they would fight each other because they think that their team is superior to the other team. And Frederick Douglass points out, they seemed to think that the greatness of their master was transferable to themselves. And isn't that essentially what a fanatical sports fan does? They think that the greatness of their team is transferred onto them. Like, hey, my team is the Lakers. We have the most championships. Yeah, their, their greatness is transferred upon to me. Isn't that weird? That is completely bizarre to me that there's grown men wearing these sports jerseys of other grown men with that grown man's name on their back almost, man, kind of like, I don't know, they're, they're their master a little bit. You know, uh, history repeats itself. The human condition is the human condition and we all want to feel that you know we're superior than others for some reason and we're willing to fight about it fascinating stuff frederick Douglass, he was fighting or uh colonel lloyd slaves essentially that was his team and uh what's the other guy jacob jepson he had his slaves so it was essentially two different teams and they'd fight about who had the more superior master interesting stuff
Here's another unfortunate story that Frederick Douglass wrote about. Mr. Gore, once again, Mr. Gore, he's another slave overseer. Frederick Douglass was moved around quite a bit and traded back and forth to, to different people and and sold out for, for jobs. So he writes, Mr. Gore told him that he would give him three calls. Oh, you know, let me rewind a little bit. Let's see. Um, so there is this slave, Demby. The slave, uh, his name is Demby. And he had messed up. He had messed up doing something. Something insignificant, something very small, but he was about to get some lashings. He was going to get a, a whooping. He was going to get a whooping by Mr. Gore. And in order for Demby to try to evade the barbarity of being whooped, Demby ran into a river and he's standing at waist high water. So Frederick Douglass writes, Mr. Gore told Demby that he would give him three calls and that if he did not come out on the third call, he would shoot him. The first call was given. Demby made no response, but stood his ground. The second and third calls were given with the same result. Mr. Gore then, without consultation or deliberation from anyone, not even giving Demby an additional call, raised his musket to his face, taking deadly aim at his standing victim, and in an instant, poor Demby was no more. His mangled body sank out of sight, and blood and brains marked the water where he stood. So Mr. Gore, he was a slave overseer. He wasn't the master. So back in the day, if you did something like that, if you were an overseer and you killed a slave without consulting the slave's master, hey, that was punishable by crime because essentially you are ruining someone's investment because the slave master purchased the slave with money, with capital, and the slave overseer can't just go and kill your, kill your um, property because the slave was the property of the master. It, it's kind of like me going out and, and killing a, a cow. Like that cow for that farmer is going to, you know, cost him money. So that is punishable by crime. But uh, Mr. Gore, it, he he didn't get in trouble because the slave master of Demby, he was just like, all right, whatever. Don't let it happen again. Oh, but before that, Mr. Gore said the reason why he shot Demby point blank in the face was because all of the other slaves, they were watching on the bank sides. And if Mr. Gore would have not done that, then the other slaves would have saw that, hey, I can evade punishment by running away. And the next thing you know, that message is being spread and now you have unruly slaves. So M Mr. Gore, he nipped it in the bud and he just shot Demby point blank right in the face. And guess what that did to the other slaves? Hey, they're, they're going to think twice when it comes to running away from some lashings. I guess back in the day, you know what? Getting a, a you know, a lashing, a whooping is, but I guess, better than getting shot in the face. I don't know. Ay, 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 yeah, this book is heavy. Super heavy.
but let's continue. So check this out. Uh, Frederick Douglass gets moved to another plantation, and he meets a woman. Uh, it's the slave master's wife, and for whatever reason, their relationship starts out civil. She's not, you know, an overbearing tyrant. And for a little while, her name is Miss uh, A-U-L-D, Miss Ald. And she was very kind at first. Check this out. So she starts to teach uh, Frederick Douglass how to read. And then when the husband found out, the husband laid into the wife and he was like, hey, you can't be teaching these people how to read. You can't teach a slave how to read. So let's... Let's take it from the horse's mouth, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass writes, Miss Ald found out what was going on. Oh, Mr. Ald found out what was going on and at once forbade Miss Ald to instruct me further, telling her, among, uh, among other things, that it was unlawful as well as unsafe to teach a slave to read. To use his own words further, he said, If you give a N-word an inch, he will take a mile. An N-word should know nothing but to obey his master, to do as he is told to do. Learning would spoil the best N-word in the world. Now, he said, so this is the, the slave master saying this. This is the slave master's words. If you teach that N-word how to read, there would be no keeping him. He would forever unfit him to be a slave. He would at once become unmanageable and of no value to his master. As to himself, it could do him no good, but a great deal of harm. It would make him discontented and unhappy. Frederick Douglass continues to write, These words sank deep into my heart, stirred up sentiments within that lay slumbering, and called into existence an early new train of thought. It was a new and special revelation explaining dark and mysterious things with which my youthful understanding had struggled, but struggled in vain. I now understood what had been to me a most perplexing difficulty to wit, the white man's power to enslave the black man. It was a grand achievement, and I prized it highly. From that moment, I understood the pathway from slavery to freedom. It was just what I wanted, and I got it at a time when I least expected it. Man, so let's let's uh, unpack those words. So the, the, the slave master is saying, if you give a slave an inch, he will take a uh, take a mile. Uh, a a slave should know nothing but to obey his master. So check this out. Back in the day. They wanted the slave's body, but they did not want his mind. Now, why would you want that? Because you don't want someone having all these thoughts. You don't want having someone learning how to read. Because when you read and you take on new information, you learn right from wrong. You learn that there's more to life than having someone rule over you and to be a slave. You learn that... It, it broadens your horizons. And you know what? Because you know and because you learn, you can reflect on the information that you learned 
and you can see how that applies to your life and your situational circumstance. And now, because you learned, now you are unhappy with what you have. You are unhappy with the current state of your life. And if you don't learn these thoughts, if you don't elevate your thoughts, ideas, then you don't know any better. Essentially, the slave that is born into slavery, that's all that they know. They don't know another way of living. They don't know another way of life. They think that all there is is all there is. Now, how is that applicable to you and me? Well, for example, if you are born into a gang life, where your mom is in a gang, your dad is in a gang, your grandpa's in a gang, all your friends, they're all in gangs, they're all you know, um, doing the street life, then for you, you're born into that environment, that's all you know is gang life. You're gonna bang those colors, you're gonna rep that street, and you're gonna be doing things that you only believe that, hey, that's all you know how to do. You're not gonna believe that, or even know that a world exists outside of your neighborhood. So once again, history repeats itself. Frederick Douglass now learned that it was bad, or his slave master thought that it was bad for him to learn how to read because it was going to make Frederick Douglass unhappy. Now Frederick Douglass is like, hey, why doesn't my slave master want me to read? What do you mean I'm going to be unhappy? Huh? Hmm. It got him thinking. Uh-oh. It looks like we're going to be enlightened a, a little bit. Frederick Douglass, his blinders are starting to come off a little bit. He's starting to take in new information and it's changing his, his world. So here's Frederick Douglass now with a burning desire on want, wanting to learn how to read. Um, he wrote, I had gained from my master I had gained through my master, though uh, conscious of the difficulty of learning without a teacher, I set out with high hope and fixed purpose at whatever cost of trouble to learn how to read. So he knew that it was going to be difficult for him to learn without a teacher. He goes on to write, What he most dreaded, that I most desired. What he most loved, I most hated. That to him was great evil, to be carefully shunned uh, was to me great good to be diligently sought. And the argument which he also warmly urged against my learning to read only served to inspire me with the desire and determination to learn. In learning to read, I almost as much to the bitter opposition of my master as to the kindly aid of my mistress, I acknowledge the benefit of both. So he was like, once again, doubling down. It, it set a fire within him to learn how to read. So here's a, a quick little sentence uh, Frederick Douglass writes. He writes, uh, that education and slavery were incompatible with each other. So once again, let's hear that. Education and slavery are incompatible with each other. Now, you and I, we're nowhere near a slave in the same aspect that Frederick Douglass was. But hey, we can be a slave to all types of other things. 
We could be a slave to our addictions, a slave to our vices, a slave to alcohol, a slave to these drugs. Because, hey, you know what? If you can't control your urges, let's say, uh, for example, alcohol. When alcohol comes calling you and you get that trigger and you hear it calling you, and you're supposed to, you know, go out and do something else. Uh-uh-uh. Your master says, hey, you get over here right now and you need to spend time with me. That's what alcohol does. That's what the monkey, that's why they say there's a monkey on your back. The monkey on your back is going to be pulling your collar. He's going to be um, twisting and turning your head to get you to look, look away from where you're supposed to go and put your sights on what the flesh wants. Now, we can be a slave in that aspect. Now, once again, I, I encourage you to look at your life and see, hey, what are, what are you in bondage with? What, what chains of whatever have you shackled down? We're all a slave to something. And if you think that, hey, you have everything under control, you know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. My aim is just to sow some seeds in you that if you're not sorting yourself out, you could be a slave to something and not even realize it. Now, Frederick Douglass, once again, he says that education and slavery are incompatible with each other. So education means to learn. You know, you have to learn something. Now, what, what can you and I learn to see if we are enslaved by something? I don't know. We're going to have to reflect on our lives and take inventory and eliminate distraction and completely thoroughly take inventory. Are we healthy? Do we have a strong body? How are our finances? Are we in debt? You know, how long have we been in debt for? How long have we been out of shape for? Is our marriage good? Is our relationship with our children good? Is our, your social life good? Whatever measures of a man that you can uh, measure out, it needs to be, it needs to be analyzed and scrutinized and looked at with, with truth, with an openness. All right, so we're going to fast forward a little bit. Frederick Douglass has now learned how to read. And the, the blessing of learning how to read quickly turned into his curse. And essentially, that sentiment that his slave master said that learning or teaching a slave how to read would, do, or would only make him embittered and unhappy, that's exactly what it did to Frederick Douglass. Now, I'm gonna let Frederick Douglass tell you. Through me, you know, I, I am, I'm kind of like a medium right now. I am speaking Frederick Douglass's words. All right, here we go, Frederick Douglass. Uh, As I read and contemplated the subject, behold, that very discontentment that Master Hugh had predicted would follow my learning to read had already come to torment and sting my soul to utterable anguish. Now, why would you feel utterably anguished, Mr. Douglas? Because 
he learned. He learned how the world works. And he learned that his lot in life, there's so much more. He learned that freedom was applicable to everybody except for people that look like him. And that pissed him off. Frederick Douglass. As I writhed, let's see, as I writhed under it, I would at times feel that learning to read had been a curse rather than, than a blessing. It had given me a view of my wretched condition without the remedy. Ooh, so man, he learned how bad he had it, but he he didn't learn of a remedy. There's no solution for him to get himself out of slavery. There was no forms to fill out. There was no one to contend to. There was no one to ask. There was no gatekeeper. There was no solution. He was just stuck. Frederick Douglass writes, It opened up my eyes to the horrible pit, but to no ladder upon which to get out. In moments of agony, I envied my fellow slaves for their stupidity. Man, you know what? Once again, the... Do you want to be a frustrated philosopher or a happy pig? And that is exactly what Frederick Douglass has come to be, the frustrated philosopher. Now, it says right here in his own words, he envied his fellow slaves for their stupidity because not all of them had the, uh, had the mental faculties to learn how to read. That was a luxury. And now because Frederick Douglass learned how to read, he took on some new information. His blinders came down a little bit and he saw the horrible pit that he was in, but there was no ladder in which to get out of. There was no remedy for his wretched condition. And, you know, to be a happy pig or in Frederick uh, Douglass's words, uh, his fellow slaves for their stupidity. Hey, a pig is content with slop. A pig is content with rolling around in the mud. A pig is content with eating all types of garbage and just whatever. But the frustrated philosopher sees that, hey, I'm rolling around in mud. The frustrated philosopher sees that, hey, they're giving me garbage to eat. So Frederick Douglass's blessing of learning how to read turned into a curse because everything that I just mentioned. All right, Frederick Douglass, once again, he writes, I have often wished myself a beast. I preferred the condition uh, of the meanest reptile to my own. Anything, no matter what, to get rid of that damn thinking. He was already tired of the thoughts in his head. It was this everlasting thinking of my condition that tormented me. There was no getting rid of it. You know what? Your boy Ruby Rube is going to jump in right now. And this is something that I learned. Frederick Douglass says that there was no getting rid of it. His everlasting thinking. And that's how our brains work. That is another uh, adaptation of the human condition. Once you learn something, you cannot unlearn. You cannot unlearn it. Your consciousness can only expand. It never shrinks. Once you learn of it, you learn of it. That's it. Now you know. Once you know, you know. And Frederick Douglass, he wrote, There was no getting rid of it. It was pressed upon me by every object within sight, hearing, animate or inanimate. The silver 
trump of freedom had roused my soul uh, to eternal wakefulness. Ooh, so he learned of freedom. And now the learning of freedom roused his soul eternally. It, it was going to be eternal wake, uh, awake. He says, it roused my soul to eternal wakefulness. Freedom now appeared to disappear no more forever. It was heard in every sound in and seen in everything. It was ever present to torment me, to torment me with the sense of my wretched condition. I saw nothing without seeing it. I heard nothing without hearing it and felt nothing without feeling it. It looked from every star, star, it smiled in every calm, breathed in every wind and moved in every storm. Man, so this eloquent poetic writing coming from an illiterate slave that taught himself how to read man powerful stuff there is a story that frederick Douglass, like towards the like the bitter ends of of his enslavement every single week frederick Douglass, his slave master would rent him out to other plantations and frederick Douglass would go and do the work all day sometimes all night and he would earn his measly $6 or whatever the wage was. And he would have to return to his plantation. And he'd have to give every single dollar, every single penny to his slave master. And Frederick Douglass said that because he knew that freedom existed, because he knew that slavery was wrong, because he knew that the pit he was in and all the work that Frederick Douglass just did for him to give over his hard-earned money to a man who did nothing for it, that tormented him. Can you imagine that? Put yourself in Frederick Douglass's situation to where you go to work all week, your 40, 45, 50-hour work week, whatever it is. You put in the blood, sweat, and tears, the toil, the sacrifice, and then at the end of the week, you need to go give it to another man. That's what all those slaves did. But because Frederick Douglass had his consciousness expanded by learning, the thought of doing that tormented him. Meanwhile, his other stupid slaves, the ones who were uh, only bodies, there was no mind in those bodies. They were just doing their jobs. And that's why the slave master did not want to teach the slave how to read. Because... It roused freedom in the slave. Hey, now what is what is reading going to do for you? If that's what it can do for, for Frederick Douglass, give him some hope, empower him, increase his thoughts and put them on a higher level, what is reading going to do for you, my fellow American, my fellow free American? What is reading going to do for you? What's going to happen to you when you take on new information? I don't know. But it's not going to make you any far worse. The expanding of your consciousness is not going to make you any dumber. I can tell you that much. So Frederick Douglass, in that excerpt, he says that he... Where's it at? He saw freedom in everything. He saw freedom in the wind, in the sun, in the stars. And... He knew that something was out there and he was just stuck. Once again, you're in that pit with no ladder up. Jeez, man. 
Crazy stuff. Here's some more slavery atrocities that Frederick Douglass witnessed. Master would keep this lacerated woman, this lacerated young woman tied up in this horrid situation four or five hours at a time. I have known him to tie her up early in the morning and whip her before breakfast, leave her, go to the store, return at dinner, and whip her again, cutting her in places already made raw with his cruel lash. The secret of Master's cruelty toward Henny is found that in the fact of her being almost helpless. When quite a let's see, when quite a child, she fell into a fire and burned herself horribly. Her hands were so burnt that she never got the use of them. She could do very little but bear heavy burdens. Man, so that that uh, slave, her name was Henny. Yep, she was burned in a fire and her hands were deformed because of it. And because of that, she was uh, helpless. Couldn't do, I guess, her. She couldn't lift her load. So she just became a whooping, a whooping person for the slave master. And Frederick Douglass says that she could do very little but bear heavy burdens. Man, she took on the burden of taking the, the, out the master's frustrations on her, on her back. So man, sickening, right? But once again, the point of sharing this is not to relish and, you know, think about, you know, all of the the atrocities that happen. If Frederick Douglass can be stuck in this situation and then rise up to become a, let me see, what were some of his accomplishments? Um, a social reformer, abolitionist, an orator, a writer, and a statesman. If he can witness all this and then rise up to that, What's stopping you and me? Probably just laziness. Now, I'm going to fast forward to where Frederick Douglass is 16 years old. And I heard this story where Frederick Douglass fought off his white overseers and his, uh, his slave master. Uh, so Frederick Douglass, he had he had done something wrong, and he was going to be getting uh, some lashings, and he ran away from the slave overseer, and he ran away for a few days, and when he came back, the slave overseer he played like everything was just a okay. He's like, hey, you know, don't worry about it, type deal, just all nonchalant. A few days went by, and the slave overseer pounced on Frederick Douglass. He he caught him off guard. Now, I'm going to jump back into the book and let Frederick Douglass explain the story. Um, Mr. Covey, who was the slave overseer, seemed now to think he had me. He could do what he pleased, but at this moment from whence came the spirit, I don't know, I resolved to fight. And suiting my action to the resolution, I seized Covey hard by the throat. And as I did so, I rose. So, man, he has his slave overseer by the throat, and now he's standing. He held on to me and I to him. My resistance was so entirely unexpected that Covey seemed taken all back. 
He trembled like a leaf. This gave me assurance and I held him uneasy, causing the blood to run where I touched him with the ends of my fingers. So he's just choking the hell out of Mr. Covey. Uh, Mr. Covey soon called out to Hughes for help. Hughes, I guess, was just another, some nether random white guy. Uh, Hughes came and while Covey's held me, attempted to tie my right hand. While he was in the act of doing so, I watched my chance and gave him a heavy kick close under his ribs. This kick fairly sickened Hughes so that he left me in the hands of Mr. Covey. Man, so Frederick Douglass booted that guy in his rib cage, probably knocked the wind out of him. And then he's like, you know what, to the hell with this, you guys fight it out. And so now it is just Frederick Douglass and that white overseer. Uh, this kick had the effect not only on weakening Hughes, but also Covey. When he saw Hughes bending over with pain, his courage uh, quailed. He asked me if I meant to persist in my resistance. I told him I did. Come what might, that he used me like a brute for six months, and that I was determined to be used no longer. So like I said before, Frederick Douglass was getting his butt whooped by his slave overseer, Mr. Hughes, and... Uh, Mr. Hughes is like, hey, are, are you going to keep fighting with me? And Frederick Douglass is like, yep, you're not going to be beating me anymore. Frederick Douglass continues to write. With that, he strove to drag me to a stick that was lying just outside of the stable door. He meant to knock me down, but just as he was leaning, lying just out of the stable door, um, I seized him with both hands by his collar and brought him down with a sudden snatch to the ground. So that slave overseer just tried to push past him to get a stick. But not Frederick Douglass. Nope. You're going to mess around and find out with Frederick Douglass and see what happens. Uh, but by this time, Bill came. I don't know who Bill is. But, uh, oh, you know, Bill is a, is a slave. A slave named Bill. Go figure. Uh, Covey called to him for assistance. Bill wanted to know what he should do. Covey said, take a hold of him. Take a hold of him. Bill said his master hired him out to work and not to help with me. So he left Covey and myself to fight our own battle. We were at it for nearly two hours. So Frederick Douglass kicked one guy in the ribs and rendered him incapacitated. He left the fight and he's bashing his overseer, fighting with him for over two hours. And he had this other slave... Uh, where the slave overseer was like, hey, come and help me. Grab Frederick. And the slave was like, uh-uh. My slave master told me to not help you whoop anybody. So sheesh. Once again, it's just Frederick Douglass and, and that overseer fighting for two hours. And one little caveat that I forgot to mention is that Mr. Covey guy, he had a reputation for being a slave breaker. Um, he had a good, a good withstanding reputation that all of your rowdiest and rebellious slaves you send them over to me Mr. Covey and I'll break them man and how do you figure he broke his slaves sheesh um so we were at it for nearly two hours Covey at length let me go puffing and blowing at a great rate saying that if I had not resisted he would have not whipped me half so much the truth was that he had not whipped me at all I considered him as getting entirely the worst end of the bargain, for he had drawn no blood on me, but I had from him. She so. Uh, there was only one guy bleeding at the end of that fight, 
and it was not Frederick Douglass. Hip, hip, yeah! Let's go, Freddy. Frederick Douglass continues to write, The whole six months afterwards that I spent with Mr. Covey, he never laid the weight of his finger upon me in anger. He would occasionally say, He didn't want to get a hold of me again. No, thought I. You need not, for you will come off worse than you did before. So that Mr. Covey guy, he would, you know, have his day-to-day interactions with Frederick Douglass, and I guess Frederick Douglass would do something that wasn't up to the standards of the slave overseer, and the slave overseer would be like, boy, you know, I should should whoop you right now. And then Frederick Douglass, he was like, nope. You need not think that, my guy, for you will come off worse than you did before. He didn't uh, speak that, but hey, that's what Frederick Douglass was thinking. He gained some confidence. This battle with Mr. Covey was the turning point in my career as a slave. It rekindled the few expiring embers of freedom and revived with me a sense of my own manhood. It recalled the departed self-confidence and inspired me again with a determination to be free. It was a glorious resurrection. From the tomb of slavery to the heaven of freedom, my long-crushed spirit rose. Cowardice departed. Bold defiance took its place. Sheesh, so man, he says cowardice departed and bold defiance took its place. And I now resolved that however long I might remain a slave in form, the day had passed forever when I could be a slave in fact. I did not hesitate to let it be known of me that the white man who expected to succeed in whipping must also succeed in killing me. So hey, Frederick Douglass was done and getting whooped. And he let it be known. He said to these uh, to these white people, uh, the white man who expected to succeed in whipping must also succeed in killing me. So, sheesh. Bravo, Mr. Frederick Douglass. Bravo. Frederick Douglass goes on to say that he had several fights, but he was no longer whipped. And Frederick Douglass hypothesizes the reason why he was not um, reported to the authorities. So check this out. That Mr. Covey guy, like I said before, he had a great reputation of being the best slave breaker. So that was how he earned his money. And how would it look if that Mr. Covey guy, the slave breaker, who was breaking everyone's slaves, people from all over the, the, the county, the state, they were taking their rebellious slaves to Mr. Covey to have them broken. And how would it look if Mr. Covey went to the authorities to report Frederick Douglass, who was only 16 years of age at that time, and said, hey, Frederick Douglass put his hands on me and I, I can't you know, punish him then everyone is going to look at him and be like, man, why am I going to spend my hard-earned money and send my slaves over to you when you can't even break Frederick Douglass, a 16-year-old you know, teenager? So if Mr. Covey would have did that, he essentially would have ruined his business, ruined his reputation. And man, that was a secret that Mr. Covey probably took with him all the way to his grave. 
He couldn't be known as a great slave breaker and then have someone like Frederick Douglass walking around with no whippings. Throughout this book, there's all types of information where, man, Frederick Douglass just, man, tells you about his life. The title of the book is Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. So here's another little sentence that I found insightful. Um, I was fast approaching manhood, and year after year had passed, and I was still a slave. I bent myself to devising ways and means for our escape, and meanwhile strove on all fitting occasions to impress them with the gross fraud and inhumanity of slavery. So, reflecting back on that conversation that uh, one of his slave masters had with his wife's on not teaching Frederick Douglass how to read because it was going to put all types of information in his head and it was going to make the slave unhappy because they were going to learn new information and hey that's that's how it worked knowledge is what what is knowledge people knowledge is power knowledge is information and the more you know the more powerful you can become not we don't want the type of power to where we are becoming you know evil villains i think it was spider-man <laughs> i'm gonna throw in a spider-man quote right now because it's it's completely applicable to the statement that i just made with great power comes great responsibility and frederick Douglass, he felt he had a responsibility to free himself or at least die trying Ultimately, Frederick Douglass did escape, but at the time when he wrote this book, he left out all of the details. He didn't want to be a hindrance or have the doors closed that were open to him that allowed him to escape. Um, he had a problem with people talking about the Underground Railroad because he was like, man, you guys are giving away the secrets of how... Um, how us slaves are obtaining our freedom. So when he heard of that, that frustrated him. Um, the way that Frederick Douglass was ultimately able to escape, he leaves that to obscurity because he doesn't want to get the people or place. He doesn't want to get the people in trouble. He doesn't want to draw attention to the places where he went, the routes, or anything. So he was just like, man, I got it. I escaped, and I'm not going to reveal anything. But an interesting fact on that is he was able to help through his work with the Underground Railroad. It is estimated that at least 400 runaway slaves were helped by Douglas and his wife. Fascinating stuff. Go up on Google and look at this man. Look at him in his eyes. They have young pictures of him where he's like a younger man. He's all dressed in a, in a suit. Man, what, a, what a, an awesome hairdo. Look at his eyes. Man, he looks great. So here's 10 quick, quick facts about Frederick Douglass. One, he taught himself how to read and write. Incredible. He helped save other slaves. Hold on. He helped other slaves become literate. He fought a slave breaker. I already told you that story. Uh, he took his name from a famous poem. 
he traveled to Britain to avoid re-enslavement. That was a segment in his book to where he escaped to Manhattan in a little boat. Uh, and he said that, man, there, there was these slave masters back in the South. They would hire people to go up north and locate their slaves and kidnap them and bring them back. So in order for him to avoid that, he moved to uh, Britain. He advocated women's rights. He met Abraham Lincoln. Sheesh. And number nine, he was the most photographed man of the 19th century. That's interesting. Did you know that? Well, I didn't. And if you didn't know that, why didn't you tell me? Why don't you ever bring up Frederick Douglass during any of our conversations? And the final one, he was nominated for Vice President of the United States. So that'll do it for this episode. Once again, go out and get the book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. If you made it this far in the podcast, thank you. Don't forget to give me a like, a subscribe, and a follow. And until next time, it's onward, always onward.